You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and The Fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince in the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at The Dugout Brand. Follow the link on their Etsy shop and use your promo code FOUNDATION for 15% off your entire order. The Dugout, custom quality apparel at an affordable price. WCW champion and WWE Hall of Famer, Diamond Dallas Page. Thank you so much for being on Foundation Radio today. How are you, sir? Ah, never had a bad day in my life. <laughs> plenty, plenty of sore ones, but no bad ones. That's... Life's too short. <laughs> That's a good thing. I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for being on the show with me today. Um, I was doing some research about this conversation, and one of the things that popped out to me sort of uh, right away was learning that you were dyslexic and I, I had no oh, yeah. idea. Um, do you think that the struggles that you faced with dys- dyslexia in your early years sort of shaped your mindset on how you look at things like positivity and perseverance? Um, tell me more about, about that. Well, um, I never knew I had dyslexia until I was in my thirties. I just thought I couldn't read, <laughs> you know, um, attention deficit disorder. I probably would have been the poster boy for that as a kid growing up, but there's a lot of people who are dyslexic who are very famous. One a name you mentioned earlier before we came on the podcast, Jay Leno, dyslexic, um, Tom Cruise, uh, Muhammad Ali. All these guys are very successful. And the whole thing about when you're dyslexic and you really can't read, 
um, you learned how to really pay attention and be more of, uh, for me anyway, uh, be more of, um, be involved in the conversation. And for me, I learned through the, re you know, repetition is the mother of learning. And I learned, like right now, I just went down and went and got, two months ago, I went and got uh, stem cells, my shoulders, knees, back, neck, company called BioAccelerator. And um, I wanted to, uh, after being down there, my girlfriend spoke really good Espanol. I had nothing. And I thought, I'm never doing that again. I started, I'm on 55 straight days of, uh, what's it called, Duolingo. And little by little, I'm getting a little bit better, a little bit better. But my goal in the next year, and this is a good thing for people to do if, as they're getting older, and I am part of that group of people, is you have to constantly be testing your brain. You have to be working your brain so that, you know, people who sit in front of a TV, they're pretty much just going to die and fall apart. You know, and they just, just watch endless TV. And that's what a lot of older people do. Um, what they should be doing is exercising and working the brain. If you look at some of the older people who are really sharp, a lot of their, the old school thing would have been um, crossword puzzles and or playing, or playing chess. It's something that helps keep the brain sharp. And for me, I, I want to get something out of it. If I'm I, like in this scenario, studying Espanol, at this point, I almost spell better in, in Spanish than I do in English. Um, it, it, you know, I got to, I just skimmed through school. And eventually when I was out in LA, I went to the Eris Learning Center when I was 48 years old. And I found a woman there, her name was Rose. She was 85. And I would go see her every Tuesday and Thursday. And um, she would give me, you know, she said I took home more homework than anyone. There was a lot of exercises that they give you to teach you how to focus. Like the really cool thing about being, having ADD is you do many things at one time. Until you become a master of it, a lot of those things you're not gonna finish. Um, for me, I've pretty much finished probably 90% of the things that I start, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, and again, they didn't, they didn't have those kind of diagnosis back then and, and being able to, to utilize those services in your thirties, um, I'm sure was a, a game changer for you. So I'm sure that was extremely helpful, but I'm just always and, go ahead. And seriously challenging, like trying yeah. to learn how to read in your thirties. Let's put it like this. Learning Espanol is way easier. Really? <laughs> wow. Yes. That's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. Now you were at that time you were, I understand you were reading at a third grade level, like what, right when you yeah. got started. Yeah. What was the most difficult? Cause I guess I, sometimes I have a hard time sort of understanding, um, you know, how that works when someone's brain is operating different than mine. When you're looking at a book, like what was that like in your brain? Like when you were trying to understand and, you know, comprehend, what was that like? <sighs> you know, I wouldn't say blurry, but my attention span, when you, when you have dyslexia and then you have also attention deficit disorder, <laughs> you know, the, they, the two pretty much go hand in hand. And what's interesting is even when I write, like I will see things, you know, let's say a sentence and it was broken. You broke a sentence with commas in the three different, like one, two, and three. A lot of times I would write like one, three, two, or two, three, one, or meaning that the thoughts would come out, 
And and I'm talking about now, now that I know how to write. (laughs) I'm not talking about when I couldn't even spell. Like, I got kids to do shit for me. Like, I'm a big quid pro quo quid pro quo guy where um, if I if I ask you to help me, I'm going to really help you probably more than you're going to help me. And, uh, you know, I just got kids to really help me and I cheated like hell. You know, I cheated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't want to be in school forever. You know, school wasn't really for me. Um, like I say, when I went to uh, the Everest Learning Center, I took on more homework. She said I took on more homework than anyone ever. I was the first time was doing homework. Now I do my own schooling with you know, Duolingo. I'll spend an hour to two hours with that app learning Espanol. And again, it's if I would have had the mindset or had the knowledge to have been like a lot of kids who are lucky um, and a lot of kids who aren't, um, who have dyslexia today, a lot of them are go to special schools that cost a fortune. It shouldn't cost a fortune. It should be in the public schools because when she showed me what she was teaching me, I was thinking anyone could do this, meaning anyone could teach this. And they don't teach it in public schools, which is insane. You know, so, you know, it's just like, but also if you go to a public school and you really look at what these kids are eating, it is so fucked up, you know? So it's really kind of understandable. They don't care what the fuck you're eating. You know, they're feeding you garbage, like where pizza is considered a vegetable because it's got tomato sauce on it you know that's not even trying to be funny that's no and that's i mean that's that's a huge part for me too and i i had to learn that in my own weight loss and we'll talk about that a little bit which you actually helped inspire me to get started with that I noticed that the food that I was putting into my body and my wife, Courtney, she's big about this too. She's, you know, the food that I'm putting into my body is going to affect me in different ways. So if I decide one day, well, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to have a slice of pizza. I feel like shit and I don't operate the way I would if I have, you know, like egg whites and, and turkey bacon and with avocado or something else that's a little bit more nutritionally advanced. Right. So I think a lot of times right. in school, as I was in school, you know, it was the same thing. If I'm eating a specific thing, I'm finding it almost impossible to pay attention, but also staying awake. So I can't imagine being in school now, how difficult that must be, you know, just with the food that they're eating on, on top of everything else. The really really difficult part is like, I'm gluten free by choice because here's, here's how you stay young. You cut down the inflammation in your body. How do you cut down the inflammation? Well, one of the ways is you eliminate gluten, which is, you know, every in everything, dairy, sugar. Now, sugar is like crack cocaine to every single human being on this planet. If not every seven, ninety nine point nine percent of the people on this planet. When you cut down your sugar, you don't have to eat it like we as Americans eat ten times more sugar than the French or the English or any other country. We 10 times. These aren't numbers I'm making up. You know, this is stuff you can go look it up on the internet. But it's crazy. And I'm, I still eat sugar. I love sugar. Um, just to show you the effect that sugar has, 
they did a study. I think it was uh, Harvard did a study, and they put 43 mice and got them addicted to crack, cocaine crack water. Then they put in sugar water, and 41 of them transferred over. That's It's the same neurons that fire in your brain for both. Right. And like the you know the the lobbyists and all these people out here who who push all their agendas like they've never cared about us period like you go to italy you go to france you go even the uk you don't find anywhere near the obesity that is in their country that's in ours and the reason that it's like that is because they make it so cheap right where right. the where the fuck, yo, know, when you can get five things at a fast, or I call fake food joint, when you can get five things for $5, I don't know how intelligent you have to be to figure like, what the fuck could be in that? Exactly. Like, right. go to the supermarket and what can you eat like that? Five things for $5. Plus they have to pay for the building. They got to pay their taxes. They got to pay their, they have to pay so much shit. How the fuck are they making money? You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it seems like it's criminal. I was, that was, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it's criminal. It feels criminal a lot of times. I mean, I see the shit that my kids eat when they're at school and I'm like, no, we're, we're packing for the rest of the year. You know, I can't, I wouldn't let them do that. But, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about with, you know, the, overcoming of the the dyslexia um it seems like that really transitioned into your wrestling life um one of the things i wanted to ask about was you know the sort of the genesis of of diamond dallas page in the professional wrestling world and really the start of that was with bad company and i'm not sure that's a topic that gets a ton of attention and that was the first team that you managed the first tag team you managed when you were with uh, the awa in 1988 oh look at that look at that is my very first day of professional wrestling. And the only reason I know it is because of the girl I'm with. The, the first diamond doll for the AWA was a girl named Leanne Swift, who today Johnson and Johnson bought Pfizer. And she is the head of all North American sales. Wow. Pfizer. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's a really, she's a top dog. And she was one of the first diamond dolls. And, like we're still good friends, and uh, like she'll contact me. She goes, "Do you have any of those pictures?" You know, like my my, my nephews don't believe me. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, that's um, amazing! Yeah, tell me, that's funny. Tell me a little bit more about what that was like. You know, with those initial experiences getting into the wrestling world and then being that manager. Tell me more about that time in your life. Well, let's put, let me give you a, give you a little digress a little bit. Sure. I, I I tried wrestling when I was twenty three. And when I was 23, I mean, I had three total matches. That's all I had. And then I hurt my knee and I I significantly hurt it. And uh, I hit my car by by the same, you know, a car hit my right knee, my face bounced off the hood and I flew 42 feet from impact. So the bottom line was it was when I, when I hurt my knee, it was re-injuring that knee. So I had to take some time down. So what ended up happening was uh, I ended up getting an opportunity to run a rock and roll joint, little place. And I've been in the nightclub business since I was 17. So 
Now I was 23 and I actually had a chance. And the booze, the bras, and the party. This is 1979. And um, long story short, the booze, the bras, and the party took me in a different direction. And I never went back to my goal. And then later on, I just stopped watching because I was so mad when, when it blew up in the 80s. And then one day I was watching TV and I caught Jake Roberts. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? Like, I knew it was a work. I knew it was show, but because I did it. But they didn't talk about that back then. And I'm thinking I'm watching Jake Roberts. I mean, they, I, I can't see through anything. I'm thinking, is this shit real? Like, he actually yeah. created a... You know, he was that good. And uh, it got me watching again. And now I'm running a big club in Fort Myers, Florida. And I'm in the back. There's 3,000 people in the club. It's a Saturday night or something. And I'm in my office. And I'm looking uh, at the, the front door as the people are walking in. And a guy walks in who's a giant. You know, he's got long black hair, Fu Manchu, black leather coat. And I'm thinking, Damn, that looks like Jake Roberts. So instead of trying to go through the club, there's like thousand plus people there. I ran around the outside, came in the front door, go, Judy, did some guy walk in and look like Jake, Jake Roberts? He's like, yeah, they, everybody thinks it's him. I ran in there like <laughs> Mickey Mark, you know? And when, when I saw him, I slowed down, I slowed down, and I uh, slowly moved my way over to him and said, hey, man, uh, you Jake Snake Roberts? Who wants to know? <laughs> I said, I said, the guy who runs this place, he goes, yes, what can I do for you? I said, what are we drinking? And that's how Jake and I started our relationship. Mm -hmm. And he told everybody, this got this huge mark. If you're working in Miami or um, uh, Tampa, it's 300 miles from one event to the other. Right. So you can find a place to stop over. If you got a guy, a guy's going to take care of you, it's a hot club. <laughs> the boys are going to come by. Here's a picture. This is all before I'm in wrestling of when Luke uh, from the Bushwhackers put this up on his Facebook like three weeks ago. That's Ted DiBiase. Wow. Look at that crazy wow. head of hair. Look at that. Later. <laughs> that is, those are some impressive locks, sir. Later that night, <laughs> upside down tequila shooters. That's my kind of party, Teddy, man. Teddy, yeah, it was. It was. That's after hours. Oh, that's for sure. After yeah. hours. Uh, and um, Teddy came here with his wife Melanie, who's a sweetheart, and they were both trying it because you know he that that guy was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Yeah, his body's really beat up, and for twenty years, I've been trying to get him to do DDPY for twenty years. Wow. And then one day he called me and said, Dave, he said, is that offer still open to come and spend a couple of days with you and learn your stuff? I said, absolutely, dude. I've been waiting for you. And he's like, can my wife Melody come? I said, absolutely. I said, how long do you guys want to stay? He goes, can we stay a week? We want to engross ourselves in it. I go, come on. So the first night after we get done working out and you know, getting them set in and everything. We're all sitting at the table having dinner. And Ted starts talking about that night. Wow. And the upside down shooters at the deal, right? <laughs> so I I just got up in the middle of telling the story, walked downstairs, walked back up. And I go, oh, you mean 
this night? <laughs> I I can't believe I have that picture because I've lost so many great pictures. I can't but even imagine. My yeah. point is, is this is the insemination of Diamond Dallas Page. It's not happening when the guys are coming in, but it's on my mind so much that as um, one night, you know, this is months after they've gone and the guys have come and gone, you know, whenever they're coming through town, Sean Michaels was there, Martin Gennetti, uh, uh, nasty boys. I mean, so the guys just knew that I took care of the guys. So um, it got my head in the back of my mind thinking about wrestling. And one night I was uh, collecting the cash drawers, you know, for the end of the night. And my VJ plays girls just want to have fun. The video. And I'm just looking at it and watching, watching Captain Lou, who became bigger than life over that period. Um, and at the end of the video, you know, I think Nikolai's in there and a couple other guys, and I'm just watching it. And out loud, I say to myself, rock and wrestling. I should have been a part of that. And I just walk off. I'm talking to myself like I should have been a part of that. Right. And if I paid my dues in 1979, 80, 81, I might have been in that. Who knows? Right. But I know in my mind, I would have. So I'm in the office. The guys are coming back in. Everybody's you know, coming in to count their money now. And my head bartender, Smokey, comes in. And back then, everybody called me Page J because my dad was Page One. And he actually worked out in the parking lot. Having some cocktails and you know, and <laughs> telling people where to park. And uh, so he knew I never liked page one. That's where the nickname Dallas came from as a kid, because I love the Dallas Cowboys. And um he, so Paige Joseph Falkenberg was my real name. So Paige J just became the signature when my old man got there. And so Smokey comes in, he's like, Paige J, uh, what do you mean rock and wrestling? You should have been a part of that. I said, Oh, you heard that. He said, yeah. He goes, you, he goes, what did you mean? I said, well, I tried it when I was a kid. I was 23 years old. He goes, what? He's like, what was your name? I said, handsome Dallas page. And he went, Oh, you can forget about using that gimmick anymore. Everybody started laughing, you know? Right. And um, so what happened? First of all, I got to tell you this. Two, two years ago, somebody sent this to me. I can't remember who it was, but someone sent me this. Whoa. As you can see, 1979, December 7th. Whoa. Handsome Dallas Page. Holy shit. I'm on the I'm on the card. That was my second match. Wow. That showed you about the what I looked like I was gonna be in New York. Yeah. I looked like it. My mind said it. And that's crazy that someone had found that. Honestly, so yeah. That, that night I was, you know, I'm thinking, you know, man, this wrestling thing. Everybody's drinking and doing shots now. And and I'm just scribbling on my blotter pad. And on the blotter pad, I write uh, Diamond Dallas page. And then I write the Diamond Exchange. And I go... You know, guys, you know, I'm too old to be a, a wrestler. I was 31 at the time. I said, but I could be a manager. I said, Jimmy Hart has the Hart Foundation. What if I was Diamond Dallas Page 
and I had the diamond exchange. Oh, oh yeah, woo, shot, shot, drink, drink. Um, and then I said, uh, you know, there's not a lot of good-looking chicks in wrestling. I said, it's Miss Elizabeth, but she's girl next door good-looking. I said, what if I had a whole stable of the ladies and I called them diamond dolls and they were stripper hot? And so he goes, oh, that'll be a stretch. Oh, shot, shot, drink, drink. So at the end of the night, getting up, it's like four in the morning, you know, and I look down at that thing and I go, diamond dolls page is wrestlers come from the diamond exchange. We have the diamond dolls. I go, man, that is B-A-double-D bad. And friggin', I did something. Did I just make that up? <laughs> so I wrote that down too. So it stayed on that blotter. And then about a week later, the Party News Network, which was a show that they did in Fort Myers, and they wanted to, um, they wanted to do a story about The Voice because I did all the radio commercials. And some of them would have been like synthesizer voice Thursday, Thursday, you know, shit like that. Or it might say, oh, yeah, don't miss it. This Wednesday, hot legs. Oh, yeah. yeah. I might throw Randy in or Hulk in or Jesse Ventura. <laughs> that was probably one of the better. Get... That was probably one of the better Randy Savage impressions I've ever heard, by the way. I want to make sure I, I point that out. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> you know, that they didn't know if it was him or not. Yeah. But. Cause they seen these guys in the club. Mm-hmm. So I use that. And at some point they filmed me and they want to do this segment on me, like six minute segment. So they show me in my 62 pin Cadillac. They show me at the studio cutting the commercials. I'm wearing a WrestleMania t-shirt. Uh, they show me in the office and they at some point say, so where does the voice come from? And I said, the voice comes from Diamond Dallas Page, Daddy. It was born to be a professional wrestling manager. It's big, it's bad, it's Norma's. Norma Jeans was my club. Norma Jeans voice. And then I went back to talking, and my voice used to be way higher than this before I blew it out, blew it out, blew it out. Um, but uh, a guy saw it on a sports talk show and asked me to come on his sports talk show. I was like, bro, I don't really do it. He said, well, you know, I'm going to have Captain Lou Albano on. I go, you're going to have the captain on? He's like, yeah. I go, can I talk to him? He goes, yeah, I want you to be my expert. I said, I'm in. Wow. And I had a great time talking to Captain Lou Albano that night. Then he asked me to come back a month later and do it with Sergeant Slaughter. And then after that, after that show, he um, he said, you know, you really got to do something with this Diamond Dallas Page thing. I said, do what? Dude, it's just in my head. And he said, well, so I got a friend of mine named Rob Russell, and he used to promote boxing. Now he promotes wrestling for the AWA. You should send him a tape. I go, a tape of what? He's like, <laughs> you'll figure it out. So what ended up happening is I'd take three guys. One guy named Big Bad John. Another guy named Rock Hard Rick. And a midget named Teddy Bear. And 
Teddy Bear came out with the Diamond Dolls. And I write this copy for each guy, like notes. If you had some, the first time Smokey was giving what I wrote for the sign, what I wanted out there on the sign, he looked at me and goes, what idiot wrote this? <laughs> I said, me. Uh, he went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Reading is not my special. Reading or writing is not my specialty. He goes, I got it. So he would become the word man. He's the guy who wrote my first book with me, uh, Smokey, uh, Larry Smokey Jetta. So, bottom line is, um, they they filmed me, and they asked me, like I said, go you know, comes from the boy, you know, comes Smitty wants me to be on his show. I do it. I make this video. Tell me, catch up. I catch back up here. So. Smitty convinces me to make a videotape. So I make one. And when I send it to the AWA, two weeks later, they call me. And they say, we want to bring you and your guys in for a tryout um, in the Vegas. But, uh, you know, everybody likes your stick. We've shown your tape around. But one question we have is, where are you guys working? Because no one's ever heard of you guys before. And I said, well, Rob, the truth is none of those guys can wrestle. And he's like, what? Why would you send me the tape? I'm like, bro, it's like, because it's like a secret society trying to find a way in. And I could manage other guys while they're training. He's like, don't call us, we'll call you. Oh. And two weeks later, Paul Heyman, back then known as Paul E. Dangerously, leaves the N the AWA with his, his his wrestlers, the Midnight Express, and goes to the NWA, which would become WCW. And it left a huge void for a young guy that could talk, because Paul filled that spot, obviously. Right. One of the greatest talkers ever. And they bring me in and they give me bad company. So wow. now that if you go back to that night, be a double D bad company. Wow. It was like I was telling my own future. Yeah. And I did it for about a year and a half. They flew me in one day a month to film four TVs in Vegas. Wow. wow. So, uh, and out of that time, I lived in Florida Championship Wrestling. Still keeping my nightclub gig because that's where the money came from. Because mm -hmm. I wasn't, first three and a half years, I made nothing. It cost me money to be Diamond Dallas Page back wow. then. And then I finally got my opportunity in uh, WCW. And Dusty loved me. You know, because yeah. from Florida Championship Wrestling, we built a relationship. And then when he brought me in, um, no contract. You know, uh, first four months, no contract. I managed the Freebirds. And then I got Scott Hall involved and I completely changed his look to be what would be called the diamond stud, which would later, it really was the, it was the um, growth period for Razor Ramon. Right. Really, that's what it would turn into. Um, but it developed a really strong relationship between me and Scott. And at some point, Magnum TA comes up to me and says, ah, Kid, listen, uh, Dusty couldn't do it, so he sent me. We can't let you manage anymore. 
I'm like, man, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean? I can't, what are you talking about? What did I do wrong? I'll, I'll fix it. And you know, I feel finally got here. You know, he's like, it's not your fault. He goes, the hair, the bling, the clothes, the dolls, the rap. He said, you're overshadowing the boys. And you know, what we should have, I said, My, Magnum, are you telling me that I'm too over the top for professional fucking wrestling? <laughs> And he, and he said again, he goes, he goes, it's not your fault. He said, what we should have done was give you a pair of tights and boots and see if you could do this. Now, at that point, I had a contract for five months because after four months, they signed me. But I had seven months left to my contract. And I'm still doing play-by-play with Eric Bischoff at the time. And that's going to be my gig. And I'm thinking, the next guy to retire, I'm gone. You know, that could talk. Someone will take my place. I'll be gone. So I figured, fuck it. I'm going to learn how to wrestle. And that's how it started. It's it's an unbelievable story. And it, it does feel sort of serendipitous that you said that out loud. And then that was your the genesis for the character and what you became. I mean, you, you know, you're 35 years old. You step foot into the wrestling ring at 43. You win your first World Heavyweight Championship. But I think for me, a bigger part of the story for DDP that I'm not necessarily sure anybody talks about is the work with Jay Leno in The Tonight Show. Um, Back in 1998, I mean, specifically with The Tonight Show, I don't really know of anything that was bigger in pop culture than that show. And the fact that the fact that not just Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff, but that Diamond Dallas Page was on that program with Jay Leno. I mean, that's. That's huge. I mean, that is that to me is like the actual crossover moment where professional wrestling became more than just this, you know, what we all love. It became mainstream. What was it like for you to be the person that was trusted to be a part of that and said, yeah, DDP is the guy. He's the guy we want to be a part of this with Jane Leno. Well, you have to back up just a little bit. Um, right. I become really good friends with Carl Malone. That's right. Yep. And that was the that that was you know that was before Jay. So it was one month we were with Malone, the next month we were with Jay. But what had happened was Carl, um, he ended up um, Carl ended up you know from what I from what I could see and what, when I seen him on the Tonight Show, like he talked about WCW. He wouldn't talk about WWF. So he knew my career <clears throat> better than I knew his. And we became good buddies. And on the second, on the second uh, time uh, Rodman was coming in, because a year before Rodman came in. Right, you know, right. It was a huge thing, but it was Dennis Rodman. So it's still a freak show. You know, it's <laughs> right. Dennis Rodman and, Yo, he would do, you know, wearing wedding dresses and whatever. That is a really smart marketeer. Oh, for and he sure. learned it from people like Madonna and all that. Now, where he hasn't been smart has been how he treats himself. Well, right. You know, yeah. And and that comes down to self-love and you know, all of that. Um, but what had happened was I hear Rodman's coming in. Now, at that time, the 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 jazz were one game away. They had they swept LA 3-0 and they were playing that day game four out in Cali. 
so they could actually have an opportunity to sweep the the um, uh, what do they call it? The league, not the league, the uh, conference. The conference, yeah. You know, to put them to put them in the in the world championship finals. So I thought, man, if you look on the other side, even though Chicago was down at the time, they still had they were Chicago at their peak. So it could be Jazz and the Bulls, and it could be me and Malone and Rodman and Hogan. So I walked over there. No one, I've the only person that knew about this was me because I had called Carl Malone up and asked him, Do you have any problems with Mo- I know you want to wrestle. And you told me, I don't want to do it like Tyson. I want to do it right. I want to get in the ring. I want to learn what I'm what I want to do. Like he'd already said this to me. So I said, you know, I know you want to get in that ring and you want to do this. You want to live the another childhood dream. I said, um, Rodman's coming in for a second time to the NWO. I said, what if? And he knew all the storylines because he watched all the time. And it was must-see TV yeah. you know, back in 1996, 97, 98, 99. Um, I said, uh, do you have any problems with Dennis Rodman? And he said, no. He said, most people don't know this. But, you know, when they have rook- when you're a rookie years ago, I don't know how it is today because it's so crazy today as far as money and all that. But back in the friggin', you know, 80s and 90s, if you got drafted that summer, every rookie went to a rookie camp where they put together, they played, they, they put together teams and they play against each other in, in this league. And uh, his roommate was Rodman. Oh, wow. And he said, yeah. And he said, I don't know that Dennis Rodman was wearing the wedding dresses. He said, but that Dennis, is, and he's always been good with me. I said, so you wouldn't mind maybe being Rodman and Hogan against Malone and Paige? And he said, I think about that. Wow. So I went down to tell Eric Bischoff. And he really didn't know uh, Malone because you know being out in the, you know in Utah, unless you're a real <laughs> basketball fan, you really didn't know who Carl Malone was. Even though Carl Malone was the lead second, Jabbar's number one, number two leading scorer is not Kobe, is not Jordan, it's Malone, mm-hmm. and. Um, he watched him play that night and he just manhandled Shaq in that fourth game. Shaq must have been hurt or something. Right. Because he just yeah. manhandled him. And they and they won in a, you know out in California. I think they played in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, they uh they they swept them 4-0. So I told Eric, you know, Carl told me no matter what happens, win, lose, win or lose, he's gonna end up on a tonight show. And what if Rodman and Hogan are on the Tonight Show with Jay and me and Carl come in from the wings and throw down the chairs and friggin', you know, do a shoot an angle right there on Tonight Show. Mm -hmm. And then that's exactly what we did. And then when we came back, um, the reason why Bischoff put me in that spot again was because 
I basically laid out that entire match that we did. Hogan didn't do stuff like that. Terry would he call stuff as you go. Mm-hmm. Really simplified stuff. That that's what they did in the early days. And you still do that today, but there's also these elaborate, you know, spots and finishes and stuff, you know, that can only be, you know, put together, you right. know, pre-end. It's impossible to do. But it, you know, it's 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 really wrestling when it's done right is the best preparation meets improvisation. That's what makes it magic. And he knew how hard I worked. I mean, Malone stayed at my house. Uh, I trained with him every day. Every day he'd come in. Plus I worked. Plus I trained. You know, I mean, I was doing everything. And he knew, like, Jay is not a wrestler, not even an athlete, but a great entertainer. Yeah. And so we could play off of that. And, you know, the match was entertaining, man. But those two months in a row, I mean, I was on The Tonight Show like seven different times, you know, whether it was in a, a skit where I was holding the cue cards, you know, so because in the second gig, you know, when Bischoff and Hogan came on the Tonight Show and ran Jay off, you know, and then I come in from the wings and knock Hogan on his ass, you know, and <laughs> next thing you know, we're, uh, we're in, a, in a tag with me and Jay Leno. And then Jay actually brought me on the Tonight Show when I was the world champion in 99. So it was a really cool. It put, like, that's where I, like, 20, that's about when I changed my name to Dallas Page. Because no one knew who the fuck Page Joseph Falkenberg was. You know, but they knew who Diamond Dallas Page was. Like, credits in my movies and shows on TV or whatever I use, I, I still use Diamond Dallas Page. Mm-hmm. Because Dallas Page, there's a lot of people with the name Dallas now. When I took it, I didn't know anybody. But there's a lot of people now. So it doesn't click. But if you put DDP or Diamond Dallas Page, well, then you know. Right. You know, and it's yeah, you know, exactly. just there's, 30, there's, it's, there's 30 years of branding. I was you just about I mean? to I was just about to say that. When you hear yeah. DDP, you know yeah. right away who you're talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's incredible to think back of how this trajectory went for you. I mean, just like really from the very beginning all the way up through the Tonight Show and the world champion world championship. I mean, it's just it's an unbelievable story. And uh, one of I mean, you were I mean, I'll, full disclosure, you were still one of my favorite wrestlers back then. I mean, we watched Nitro religiously to watch you and watch your matches every week. Uh, one thing that about that to me that speaks volumes to you is the authenticity of, of yourself. Talk to me about authenticity because it seems like once you really focused on being you without any of the flashy gimmicks Uh or anything else, everything really fell into place for you. It's funny. I I often, because I can remember people when they were interviewing me or when I, anytime that they, like we come to town, say we're in Kansas city and because we, we would sold out that arena in 10 minutes, you know? So um, they, they, all the news trucks are going to come. And there were certain guys that they would put, and I was one of them because I could talk, but I was also a guy who promoted nightclubs. So I had all those years of experience. So there would be sometimes a woman would come up to me. She goes, I really don't 
know exactly what's happening, but can you fill me in? I said, if you just say DDP, how are you doing today? I'll fill everything in. You know, because like we're talking about what's <laughs> happening tonight and this fact, the main event, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I can remember sometimes people would say, God, it's like your career it came out of nowhere. <laughs> and I'm thinking at that moment, yeah, I'm an eight year overnight success. <laughs> eight straight right. balls to the walls years of overnight success. And what I've learned is when Paige Joseph Falkenberg stopped trying to be this figure than life, over the top wrestling persona, and Diamond Dallas Page started taking on the characteristics of Paige Joseph Falkenberg, that's when Chip really took off for me. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's in everything. It's in everything that I do. Um, and a, a real work ethic that. There may be guys who, you know, really put the work in and like Triple H is one of those guys. The Rock is one of those guys. Like Rock's thing is you won't fucking outwork me. Like that exact quote. And I would have loved to have worked with him because it would have been magic. Um, Absolutely. But it never got, yeah, it never came around because that's not what they wanted up there. They wanted to prove that, no, that was a fluke at WCW started kicking our ass the funny part is i don't know how much you're watching aew yeah but last night really the last couple of weeks now that they're back on the road line those crowds are so hot yes they are like they they open with jericho they should open with jericho every show because every single person in the building knows knows every word to the song judas and that's chris's ring music now him singing every you could turn it off and they could sing the whole song so the energy just takes it to here wwe doesn't have anything like that yeah you know and just the, they're doing things a little bit differently and they're letting the guys as opposed to writing scripts for what you hear because unless you're one of the top guys you you say what they write mm-hmm. You know, and in our day, we wrote our own shit. They told us what we were doing, and then we wrote our own shit. So that's how you got over or you did it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of work put into what you would say and how you would say it. You know, and creating um, catchphrases. You know, I'm you know I'm one of those first people who did that. Right. Getting in in country music. They call it FaceTime. Like when you can sing that first phrase of the song and then you shut up like they do with Chris. And at one point last uh, last night, while the whole crowd was singing, you could tell they turned off all the music so you could just hear the people singing their ass off. Mm-hmm. Like this is entertainment at a different level. And all of a sudden, <laughs> um, it looks like AEW is not just another wrestling organization. They have risen to the level of like real competition for Mm -hmm. WWE. And I never thought that would be possible again. But the heart and soul, that guy, Tony Khan, who owns that company, first of all, he's the most amazing cat. Like, uh, 
You would never know in a billion years that he's a billionaire because he's a regular dude who has loves wrestling, but appreciates it for what it is. And one of his dreams, I have his own wrestling organization. Now he's got it. And it's not just a wrestling organization. It's they just shot. I know I know they just sold tickets for Chicago. And it was a number of shows, like three nights in a row. They all sold out. I would say it's about 10, 11,000 people. Wow. And then they got the United Center. And they're doing a new show now. I think it's called Rampage. I could Ramp- be wrong. It's something, Rampage. Yeah, yeah. Something like, yeah, something like that. They sold out the United Center in 30 minutes. Wow. So wow. you can't tell me that they ain't the real deal. You know? It's hard. WWE's tickets aren't selling like that. And it's hard to ignore at this point. It's hard for you to sit. And I mean, even in some respects, Vince McMahon, it's hard to sit and hear, listen to that quarterly call and say, oh, well, they're not competition the way WCW is competition. But I mean, in in reality, they kind of are. It's it's impossible to ignore now. And you you have to you have to uh, uh, adapt and, uh, and amend. But. Um, one of the things that I, I really wanted to ask you about um, in general, I know, is, is, is just your mental health and how doing these things with DDP yoga, helping all of these people and obviously these amazing success stories with people like Arthur Borman and Jake the Snake Roberts and Scott Hall. Um, that's a lot to sort of that's a lot of weight to carry. Uh, what do you do to keep yourself in a healthy enough place, not just physically, but but mentally? Um, to be so useful and helpful to so many people around you? Well, like I say, I put the work in, and I don't mean to other people, I mean to myself. Uh, um, like when I roll out of bed, you have to understand what a hyperbaric chamber is. A hyperbaric chamber, they use it in diving, you know, because people who dive depths. And what what is what has become common knowledge among people who understand this, when you go on dives, or let's just say getting in a hyperbaric chamber, it heals your body at a cellular level. Like I just had this, this is a really big cut that I had right here. It's almost all healed. Wow. And it was a really big cut. And um, going in the hyperbaric chamber heals your body at a cellular level. When you get to, let me explain what three PSI would be like, maybe, um, let's say, uh, let's say 10, let's see, five, six, five, say four PSI would be like maybe eight to 10 feet below sea level. Okay. Eight would be like 18 to 20. 12 would be around 25 to 30. But what happens when you get the 12 PSI, and I have two chambers, one that's 12 and was gimmicked to be 12, meaning that they don't make them in this country because it's not FDA, blah, 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 blah. Uh, no one's gotten paid off yet, in other words. Uh, so there's guys you can find that can do it. And the one I have is 12. Uh, I had a guy, and he, he, he makes them. Uh, and then I found one in Austria. And this one's 15 PSI. Whoa. And that's the, that's as high a level as you can get in a home. After that, they're glass tubes mm-hmm. that you see. It looks like a, you know, science fiction. Now, what's happening in there? 
your 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 body is going getting because of the air that they're pushing in there is compressing in this tube. And when you're at 15 psi, it's like being anywhere from 32 to 36 feet below sea level. What happens when you get to 12 psi? You're not just in the body. Now you break the brain blood barrier, so the oxygen is on your brain. I've actually got my brain MRI yesterday. Wow. And I wish I would have done it three years ago because I've been doing this for three years. When Chris Benoit killed his family, mm. that was not Chris Benoit. That was something really bad, meaning his brain. Uh, Chris Kowinski, who was a Harvard student and doctor, uh, took Chris Benoit's brain, and he said the dark spots on it and the the way the brain was was just literally squeezing and, you know, like a sponge would come together. He said he had that brain of an 87-year-old Alzheimer patient. Oxygen is the number one way to heal your body. It's not something that's widely used. Because there's because it's it's time, it's money, but there's no real money in a pill. If it was a prescription and a pill, they'd be you know, it'd be billions of dollars in it. But it's right. not. So you if you can't follow the money, in this scenario, I use myself as my own test dummy, and all I know is what I've been doing with the NAD. And with the hyperbaric chamber and with just studying Espanol, my memory is getting better. My memory is getting sharper. I'm not like, you'll forget, you'll still forget things, but I, I won't go, oh God, I'm forgetting stuff. Fuck that. I'm going to try and remember it. And I'll, oh, got it. You know, it's like, you've got to be working your brain. So I'm putting the work in to my body so that I can preach to other people, not say, it's kind of like the doctor who used to be smoking cigarettes and go, you really need to quit smoking, you know, or the doctor who's overweight says, you need to, you need to lose a few pounds. Right. You know, uh, I, I walk the talk and what I've come across, you know, through our program and Jake the Steak Roberts is the best example. Jake was an dark, lonely, cold space, 2012, when I brought him into my house. I did an interview with Jake last month. It just, it just It's up on social media right now. It's just, if you will look at Jake, but you have to watch Resurrection first. Right. If you watch Jake and Resurrection, where his mindset is, he'd, break, he'd stop dreaming. All he had was nightmares when he had any dreams at all. When you stop dreaming or thinking you have life or there's hope and there's no hope and then you just start sinking and you want to die. And I know a lot of people I've seen that want to die. You know, we have a new show we're going to be filming. Uh, we were going to start in September, but I can't. I'm using my house, one of my homes, the accountability crib. Mm -hmm. And I was renting. I was renting it. And the people are so nice and. I really didn't want to throw them out at all because they're such good people. Uh, but they needed time to get in the other place. So 
it pushed us back to January. We'll start. But uh, the show is going to be called Change or Die. Wow. And it's kind of like, kind of like Biggest Loser meets um, The Apprentice meets Fear Factor, not with scorpions and spiders or snakes. Fear Factor in a way that a lot of people are really afraid to take those six pictures. They're afraid to take the measurements. They're afraid to get on. I'm, I'm just so afraid that if I start, I'll stop again. Like, that's fucked up, no matter how you look at it. But that is so many people. They are they are afraid. I've even had people get, get the DVDs and not start them because they're afraid they're going to fail. So those are all the things we're going to... Because what I, what I loved about Biggest Loser is it gave people hope and it was inspiring at times. How they got the results was fucked up. Right. right. The, the, way they, the way they treated the people like they were cattle. Not even, no, they treated them way worse than cattle. You know, they treated them like they were, I don't even know, you know, test subjects. Right. Yeah. Something. Yeah. And, you know, and just beat the hell out of those people. And I'm talking to Rulon, Rulon Gardner, um, who lost like 200 pounds. He's over 500 pounds again. Wow. And that happens. That happens. But the whole mental part, like we do a contest every year. We'll be starting again in January. It goes from January to October 31st. Anywhere in between those 10 months, you can take six months. Say it's January 1st, you got till June. Is that it? April, May, excuse me, January, February, March, April, May, June. You got six till months, the yeah. end of June. Yeah, if you go to February, you go to end of July, and so forth. You pick whatever best six months you have. The first, last year's winners, there's only supposed to be three. Third place gets five grand. Second place gets 10 grand. First place gets a chance to win a million bucks. Wow. Truthfully, like what we do have there is there are bringing a hundred positively unstoppable books and they're in a case. You pick the right one. You got a million bucks. Whoa. You pick, you pick any other one. You have $25,000. Yeah. So the people that we picked had three criteria. One is physical transformation. Two is mental transformation. Three is documentation. So there was, I couldn't pick three. I had to pick four wow. because I couldn't pick three. Any one of these top four people could have won with their physical transformation. Any one of them. Wow. Next wow. one, mental transformation. Any one of them could have won. They were, they, they mentally changed so much. And you can say it because they video themselves in the beginning. Right. And they talk about who they are. And then you see them then six months later. It might be 10 months later, but the person's transformation only counts physically for six months. The mental thing we want to continue. Right. Right. Any one of them could have won. So then I had to go to like um, 
how did they trend? How did they document their journey? A lot of people don't want you to see them fall. If Arthur Borman doesn't fall time and time and time again and pull himself back up again, you don't care as much. Right. If I just show you before and after picture, you're like, wow, that's amazing. I show you a video of his journey, you cry. Yeah. Why? Because it's powerful, it's emotional, and it's inspiring. So that's when people don't, you know, that's what we're looking for. And a girl named Candy McCarthy Herndon, she had the best footage. Like, if you watch her video that we created for her, what she was doing, you know, but she couldn't do. Like, that's the shit you have to film so we can see what your transformation was like. Like, if this person can't walk, <laughs> and now we can walk or run, and we see it, and there's certain shit you can't, like, you just can't fake it. So right. we try to keep it as real as possible. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to start that again in January. Right now, we're, we've got so many people. I don't know how. I don't know how I'm going to, you know, get it down to three people because... They're, they're just and they're and they're filming their documentation. This year is going to be really hard. So yeah. I'm really kind of glad that we pushed off. Um, we pushed off starting the show till January because I don't want to freaking take it into you know end of the year. We'll just have too much stuff going on. Right. And right. if any, anybody's watching this, don't listen to a word I have to say about DDPY. My DDPY fitness system stands for Diamond Dallas Pages Yoga. Now let me clear really what it stands for. It's yoga for people who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. Because that was me. If you if there's someone sees me teaching a class, they're going to go and they're a real yogi, they're going to be like, that's not real yoga. Exactly. It's DDPY. That's why I'm branding it DDPY now. So people don't come up to me and go, DDP, I love your yoga. I'll go, what'd you call it? <laughs> they go, your yoga, I love it. I'll go, what did you call it? DDPY, DDPY. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like the branding of WWE. Mm -hmm. WWF was around for 25 years. WWWF was around for 25 years before that. And then when they had to turn WWE because of the World Wildlife Foundation, well, that looked like the worst thing to happen to them because they're branding. But it was the best thing ever happened to them. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's a buzz going around right now about maybe WWE is going to sell. I, I, I doubt that because I just don't Vince is his baby. Right. Uh, but. Kind of, kind of think. Well, well, are they? <laughs> Mainly because it's got to be the the most value ever right now. Right. When you look at Fox paying one point two billion or whatever, whatever it was, it was billion, you know, dollars just for programming on Fox, and you have Peacock that paid a billion dollars to rent to literally rent 
the deep, uh, the WWE network, a billion dollars to rent. If they're paying it to rent, what would they pay to buy? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, right. wow. The question has to be asked, especially with everything going on, you know, with some of the recent talent releases. And, and I mean, Peacock to me was, I guess, the first thought in my mind of, hmm, something seems a little something seems a little afoot here. Is, is that is that really what's what the plans are going forward? Um, one final question. I know you you know, you have to wrap up. I don't want to hold you up too much. Um, you mentioned inspiring. If if someone were to ask you what the lasting legacy of Diamond Dallas Page is, what would you say? Well, it's funny, about 12 years ago, I was, I was doing an interview with Brian Alvarez, um, and he's one of uh, Meltzer's um, writers and um, has his own podcast. And it was 12 years ago. And he said to me, like, the DDPY has not taken off yet. You know, because we took off 2000, May of 2012. So from that moment on, we were an eight year overnight success eight years eight years of putting money into my company me my own money five hundred and forty eight thousand dollars in before we made a dime before i took a paycheck uh and it was a small paycheck in the beginning but we were became an overnight success so go back that would be nine years ago Go back three more years before that. So 12 years ago, I'm on the this show with Brian Alvarez. And he says, so where is Diamond Dallas Page five years from now? I said, five years from now, Diamond Dallas Page is Jack Lane meets Tony Robbins meets straight Richard Simmons. And of course, <laughs> we laughed. And, and I said, I said, truth is, I honestly believe that at some point, my program, today known as DDPY, my program will overshadow my wrestling career. And he said, what? Bro, that's a bold statement. Because, dude, you had a hell of a career. I'm like, yeah, but what's happening? I see, I already knew about Arthur. What happened with me and Arthur happened in 2007. 2007 is when he went through that transformation. The video didn't go viral in 2012. But the transformation happened in 2007. So I knew that. And I had my own version of that video that uh, that I made up with his son, who's an editor and, uh, and filmed every single thing. So I think that you know, and I talk about this. I openly talk about this with my crew and everything. You know, if something happened to me, if I hit my truck tomorrow or whatever, first of all, if something like that happens, if I died anytime, <laughs> anytime in, in his next couple of years, it's going to blow DDP yoga through the roof because then all the attention would be on not really wrestling. It would be on what's happened after wrestling. Now, wrestling is a huge foundation for all of this. Kimberly says in Relentless that uh, she says that the wrestling fans, like they would trust what Diamond Dallas Page had to say about his program. Because again, I'm going to, where wrestling we made believe, 
here we make real, you know? And uh, so I don't know how to actually put it into words. I just know it's going to totally overshadow. You can see his pictures are on the wall and everything. This is a huge room. They're everywhere. You know, and it's me and different friends of mine, different, every picture tells a story, like an, an amazing story. I could spend 10 minutes on every picture in here. Um, but uh, they're all wrestling pictures. <laughs> and there's a couple of DDPY things in here, but uh, it's going to really overshadow all of this. And it's because it's real. And I tell people, don't ever listen to a word I say about my own stuff. The thing I'm most proud of is something I didn't even really create. I guess in, indirectly I did, but I didn't create it. And it's, there's a Facebook site that I call, that's called just DDP Yoga, one word. When I used to spell it like that, a guy named Chris Gabriano started, it's the page on Facebook for people to talk. And help each other. Now there's 66,000 people there. And like, you can't believe what people write and how open they are and how free they are. And because they know it's a safe zone. Like, people put pictures in their underwear and they're 200 pounds overweight. Like, I'm not even being sarcastic i'm being like real don't care it's like this is a safe zone anybody gets in any way negative we've got a great group of uh administrators on that page and they get right on them and if someone's being a jerk off then i want to go like dude what are you doing like, that's not what this is about you know there's no you're not trying to pick on people here you're trying to help people here so that thing, that that page is uh, like I now on the app. Anybody's listening, you can try my app for nothing. You get it for seven days for free. So it costs you nothing to try it. You know, I, I always say, uh, like Yoda said, there is no try. There is only to do. <laughs> <laughs> now, now he didn't say it like that, but that's me making it my own again. But that's basically <laughs> what he said. Yeah, you know that's that's make, the crux of it. it yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, just do it. You know, I mean, Nike made billions and billions of dollars because of one promotional three-word moniker: "Just do it." <laughs> you know, it's both. It's going to be both. You know, but uh, he used to be a wrestler who blah blah blah. You know. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the things that um, when I think about when you say that safe zone, I feel like what you've created is a community of people who want to help each other and they want to get better. They want to live better lives. And I think that's a real testament to you as an individual and your program and what you do, not just about Jake Roberts and not just about Scott Hall, just from you being your authentic self. People see that people can feel that they can feel fake. And I don't think there's anything fake about you. And I think uh, that community is something to be really proud of. And I'm, I'm a part of that community as well. Um, and I love DDPY. I love the program. And it's just a fantastic thing. And I, when I think about DDP, that's what I think about. Authentic and inspiring and real. And I just wanted to say thank you uh, for being on the show today, sitting with me uh, talking. Um, 
you were a very bright spot in my life in a very turbulent childhood. And I wanted to personally thank you for all of the wonderful mm-hmm. memories that I have uh, during a really hard time in my life. And um, thank you so much, Diamond Dallas Page, for being here. I really genuinely appreciate it. Well, thank you for that heartfelt send-off, uh, send-off because uh, that's, I mean, I get a lot of that from people. And because Diamond Dallas Page was the guy who they never thought would be anything. And that's how they treated me. And I just outworked them. And then the fans, and I when I when I went in my Hall of Fame speech, I said, the guys who did this, did this, you know, by the thousands, they couldn't deny me because <laughs> you just people just don't do that unless they're moved to do that. They don't just don't chant your name. Like today, if you you watch a lot of matches. They'll chant, this is awesome. You know, they, they, the, the special guys, they'll chant their name. But overall, they think the feats are awesome. When, when you hear them chanting the person's name, then you know they really care about that person. You know, and that's really hard to do. It's kind of like the internet. You know, it's really hard to get people to write good shit about you. That's why I tell people, just go to DDP yoga. And they're not writing about me. They're writing about themselves and what it's doing for them. So you guys want to try and find out more about it? Go to ddpy.com, ddpyoga.com. They both work. Uh, But before you do it, go to the Facebook page. DDP yoga, one word, Facebook. Bro, great talking to you. And uh, I'm so happy to hear that uh, made a difference in your life, man. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Diamond Dallas Page, thank you so much for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Butts Carlton, proprietor.